Hi, this is Pastor Curtis. I want to thank you for checking out the Family Church Podcast. I hope it encourages you and inspires you to take your next step of faith. You can find out more about how to do that at our website, familychurch.xyz. And if you know a friend who needs to hear this message, please forward it on to them. I hope you enjoy the message. reconcile or make sense of a God who says that he loves the world, yet there's all this, this randomness, this violence, injustice that surrounds us every day? Or what about those times a natural disaster hits a certain area, wipes out a community or a city? I mean, even for those of us who, who have been walking with God for a while, I mean, those, those times can be tough. They're kind of hard to make sense of. And the thing is, we never fully escape these. The, the, the randomness, the injustice, the unfairness of life is always close by, isn't it? That's why if you've been a Christian for very long, you've probably had someone ask you this question or a variation of it. If there's a loving God, then why do bad things happen to good people? You ever had someone ask you that or something? similar to it. As a pastor, I probably get asked that as much as anyone. The good news is, in spite of all this, God is still large and in charge. And that's our big idea for this morning. In spite of all the randomness and injustice present in the world, God has a plan and God is at work. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning as we finish up our series time of your life, if you're, if you're new or don't, you know, brand new, don't know exactly how things work around here, I do, I do a lot of preaching series, and that's where I pick a topic and preach on it until I run out of information or you guys get sick of it. And so uh, we're winding down this series called The Time of Your Life, and the foundational verse that we've used in each of these messages is Psalm 90, verse 12, which is actually a prayer, uh, a prayer by Moses, and it's a great prayer. In fact, this is a prayer that Everyone should start praying every day before you head out the door, each morning before you head out of the house to go to your work, do, do your daily routines. Here's what Moses, who wrote this psalm, Psalm 90, says. Here's what he prays. So teach us to number our days that we may gain or get a heart of wisdom. The idea being, if we would live our lives as if our days are numbers numbered, because they are, we would actually start making better decisions especially regarding how we spend our time, because our time is limited. And human nature is such, and you know this, human nature is such that if we think we have more of something than we really do, we tend to waste it. Right? So in our final message this morning, we're going to be looking at what I believe is the most interesting and for many people the most confusing book in the Bible. We're going to look at the book of Ecclesiastes. One of the really interesting things about this book is the fact that the older you get, the more it makes sense. That's true. The older you get, the more Ecclesiastes makes sense because the topics that Solomon addresses, coupled with the way and style in which it was written, it's more appealing and makes more sense to those people who have had more life experiences and lived through more sunrises and sunsets than other people. The book was written by King Solomon, who was the third king of Israel. Now, something that's important to note here is that the time frame when Solomon ruled over Israel. Because Solomon ruled over Israel about 3,000 years ago, 
during what, what historians, Bible theologians call their golden age, the golden age of Israel. Everything was going well. There was peace. There was prosperity throughout the land, which meant Israel was at peace with all their neighboring nations. There weren't any wars or conflicts that he had to deal with, which meant Solomon had the luxury that most kings never got. He had the luxury to just sit and think and ponder. Another thing about Solomon that you need to know is the guy was absolutely brilliant. God had actually blessed him with an added grace of knowledge and understanding. This guy could hold his own in a conversation about virtually anything and everything. In fact, the Bible says this about Solomon. It says that he was the, and maybe you've heard this, he was the wisest man who ever lived. The Bible tells us that about Solomon. And so people from all over the, the ancient world at that time would come and, and talk with him and pick his brain and ask him questions because he was so wise. And so with all this time to sit and think and ponder, Solomon began to explore the depths of humanity and attempted to answer the age-old question of the purpose of life. What is life all about? What is life all about? And as part of his research to help explain the meaning of life, Solomon began to experiment, as it were, with many different things. He experimented with marriage. He experimented with just sheer pleasure. He experimented with wealth. He experimented with poverty, with construction, leisure, leisure busyness. He looked at the relationship between the poor and the wealthy. He looked at the relationship between men and women. He looked at the relationship between children and their fathers. He looked at inheritance and what happens when money is passed on from one generation to the next. He explored science. He explored everything that he could possibly explore and experienced everything that he could experience. And again, because he had so much wealth and influence, the guy could do pretty much anything that he wanted whenever he wanted. And so he devoted the latter years of his life to answering this age-old question of what life is about and what makes sense and what should a person give his time to. What's the purpose of life? What's the best way to spend the time of your life? And just like any good student does when writing a research paper, Solomon begins with his thesis statement, his main idea. And here is Solomon's thesis statement. Here's his conclusion about life as he has explored it. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1. He starts out this way. Here, here he goes. The words of the preacher, some translations say teacher, the words of the preacher or teacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, vanity of vanities. Literal translation, meaningless, meaningless. It's all meaningless says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. That's it. All those years of research by the wisest man, the most resourced man who ever lived, sparing no expense, chasing down all these answers, the meaning of life, and what did he find out? It's all meaningless. There's nothing to live for. That's it. Aren't you glad you came to church? Let's pray. Go eat. says, I've explored everything, I've seen everything, I've done everything, and my conclusion is everything is utterly meaningless. But then, thankfully, he elaborates a little bit and kind of helps us out. So let's read on. Verse 3. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Good News Translation puts this verse this way. You spend your life working, laboring, what do you have to show for it? Anyone ever felt that way? You spend your life working, slaving away, and what do you have to show for it? And that's a fair question. What do I have to show for all of my hard work and labor over the years? Uh, 
well, let's see. I've got a nice house. Uh, got a nice pickup. Uh, okay, so uh, what happens if your wife wants a larger living room? Well, probably sell the house. And do what? Buy another one. What about that pickup? What happens if the pickup breaks down? Well, I'll, I'll probably sell it or trade it. Trade it for what? Another pickup. Solomon says, you just proved my point. You just proved my point. What's the point of that? You're going to sell and trade your car, your house, your MacBook, your, your golf clubs, your, your boat, all that stuff, right? And you're going to get more stuff. And then what are you going to do with that stuff? Use it. And then what? Leave it. Leave it to who? I don't know. And then what are they going to do with that stuff? I don't know. Solomon says, that's my point. That's my point. You work hard, you accumulate stuff, and somebody else benefits. It's kind of meaningless, isn't it? He goes on, verse 4. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. This is Solomon's way of saying that, kind of what we said a few weeks ago. You know, sometimes we think that, you know, we're different, we're special, but we're really not. I mean, just because we got a high school education or a college degree or something like that, you know, and then we fell in love with someone, maybe got married, had some kids, then maybe got divorced, got married again, I don't know, maybe a couple, two or three times, had some more kids, and then you retired, and then you played golf, and then you got sick, and then you died. And you know what happened the day after you died? I'll tell you what happened. The sun came up in the east, and it set in the west. That's what happened the day after you died. So skip down a few verses, and, and we see where Solomon really tries to cheer us up. Okay, <laughs> Verse 9, what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Life just goes on, around and round and round. What has been done is going to be done again. You're just doing what somebody else has done, just a more modern version of it. And guess what? As cool, as wonderful, as great as what you've done is, somebody's going to come along and do, do it cooler, do it greater, and do it better than you did. That's just life under the sun, right? Solomon continues, and he talks about the futility of life, how it's like chasing, it's an interesting phrase, it's like chasing after the wind. How quickly life passes us by. And when it's over, what do we really have to show for it? And see, people under 50 read Ecclesiastes, and they're like, why is this even in the Bible? Why is this even in the Bible? And people over 50 read Ecclesiastes, and they're like, nailed it. I like this guy. I like this guy. He's speaking my language. Because that's exactly how life is. And we're like, Solomon, how did you know? Well, because he's smarter and wiser than any of us. In fact, he's so brilliant that he actually weaves the secret to understanding life throughout the pages of this ancient document that we call Ecclesiastes. And the key to understanding the purpose of life is found in these three little words, this little three-word phrase, under the sun. Everyone say that with me. Under the sun. Now, this is, this is all skate. I didn't hear everyone. Let's try this one more time. Under the sun. 29 times the book of Ecclesiastes, we find that phrase, under the sun. And this was Solomon's brilliant but subtle way of saying, look, if all there is to life is this life, you know, what we're able to squeeze in between the bookends of our birth and death, if that's all there is to life, then we're just chasing the wind. 
and it's all vanity. It's meaningless. It's round and round and round you go, and you end up where everybody else eventually ends up. Chapter 9, verse 11. Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, which is another way of saying, you know, sometimes the fastest runners don't always win the race, do they? Nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. But, here it is, time and chance happen to them all. So here Solomon tells us what those of us who have lived any amount of time at all already know. Life is unfair. How many of you know that? Come on, life is unfair. We know that. He says, look, under the sun, there's this randomness that doesn't make any sense. Under the sun, sometimes the wicked prosper and, and good people are punished and, and bad things happen to good people. Under the sun, men and women who are faithful to their spouses get into their 30s or 40s and suddenly they find themselves alone. And even though they did everything right, still the marriage blew up, which would be bad enough. But under the sun, the spouse who wrecked the marriage went on and found someone else and they seem happier and they're doing better. Solomon says, sometimes that just seems so random. It just seems it's just time and chance. And if you think you've got it all figured out and can explain how all this works, if you think you've got a box where you can fit all this stuff neatly together, you're mistaken because Solomon says, I, Solomon, who am smarter, wiser, richer, and more experienced than you'll ever be, I haven't figured it out. Under the sun, you'll always bump up against the same barrier, the barrier of randomness, where sometimes things work out. Sometimes they don't. There's too much unpredictability under the sun. The good news is this randomness that we experience living life under the sun eventually compels us to look beyond life under the sun and consider the possibility that there might be more to life under the sun. In fact, as you continue reading through Ecclesiastes, we see how Solomon encourages us to do just this. Instead of getting frustrated or angry by the, by the randomness of life under the sun, allow it to push us towards looking beyond life under the sun and the possibility that maybe, just maybe, there's more to life than we realize. And be honest, who hasn't at times pondered this grand idea that, you know, maybe there is more to life than what I'm experiencing. Anyone ever thought that? Come on. You're not consumed with it, but every now and then it's like, you know, maybe, or maybe it's surely there's got to be more to life than this, huh? And oftentimes that sentiment comes on the heels of, of seeing or experiencing the unfairness and injustice that comes from living life under the sun, stuff that we can't reconcile or make sense of, how the innocent suffer and the wicked prosper. Oftentimes those are the things that cause us to, to lean into this grand idea of, Right in the middle of all this random, meaningless futility, things don't work out. The wicked prosper. Bad things happen to good people. In the midst of all that, Solomon makes this statement in chapter 3, verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. In other words, Solomon says, in the midst of the meaninglessness and randomness of life, in the midst of all these things that don't make sense, every once in a while, we bump into something that is so significant 
so beautiful, so striking, that it causes us to consider the idea that maybe there is more to life than what I've been experiencing. It might be something we read. It might be through a relationship, something that impacts us in such a way that causes us to look beyond life under the sun, beyond what we've been looking at and experiencing, something that expands our tunnel vision and helps us to begin to see the large picture of life. For me, this wasn't a uh, specific event so much as it was uh, some uh, a party that I was at, 1975 New Year's Eve party. I wasn't walking with God at the time, but I was at a place in my life where living life under the sun was catching up with me and, and, and my life controlling issues and habits. And uh, that eternal thumbprint that, that God had stamped on my heart, we're going to talk about that in a second, but, but that, that eternal thumbprint that God had stamped on my heart prompted me to start asking questions and searching for some answers. So New Year's Eve 1975, a friend invited me to a party. I didn't have any plans, so I said, sure. Came by and picked me up. We went to the party. So here I am at this party hanging out with some other people, and we were all sitting around doing what unsaved, unregenerate people do at New Year's Eve parties. The alcohol was flowing. The joints were being passed. And at one point, I started feeling kind of strange. And my first thought was, man, this is a really good weed. But before long, I realized it wasn't a chemically induced revelation, but something very supernatural, even even spiritual. And for the next few minutes, I'm, I'm sure it didn't last for very long, but at the time it seemed like it did. But I sort of had this, and I hesitate to even say this because you're going to think I'm really weird, which some of you do anyway. But I, I, I had what is the closest to an out-of-the-body experience that I've ever had. And again, I, look, I was aware of what was going on. You know, I was still sitting down there. But in my mind, in my mind, it's like God, and at the time, I didn't know it was God, but all of a sudden, I just, it was like I was, I was up above the room and I was looking down, and I'm looking at all these people. And my first thought was, these people are going nowhere. And they're taking me with them. And the reason that I know that this was something spiritual is because all of a sudden, sin wasn't fun anymore. See, the Bible says sin is fun for a season. Bible's very honest. It doesn't pull any punches. Bible says, yeah, sin is fun for a season. So I'm sitting around, and, and, I'm, and I'm thinking, man, what is going on here? So after a few minutes, I just thought, you know, this I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. So I went to the my friend who I rode with since I wasn't driving, and I, I asked if he could. <laughs> Asked him to give me a ride home. And he looked at me. He looked at me like I was crazy. This is his exact words. Curtis, it's not even 9 o'clock, which ironically is my bedtime these days. But he finally, he took me home. And uh, I spent that New Year's Eve at home trying to figure out what had just happened to me. Over the next few months, I started asking more questions, doing more searching. And that following fall is when I finally surrendered my life to Christ. And I've never looked back. But here's my point. I didn't recognize it at the time. But what happened to me, Solomon actually addresses in the last part of this verse. See, the truth is, and you know this, but living life under the sun has a way of wearing on you. 
And the longer we ignore that inner prompting that God installed inside our heart, the longer that we, we bang our heads up against the, all the randomness and the unfairness and the injustice that surrounds us every day, life is going to be difficult for us and confusing. But for those who've had enough of life under the sun and respond to that inner witness of eternity that God has placed in their heart every once in a while, in God's perfect timing, something beautiful happens that causes us to lift our eyes up out from underneath the sun and say, you know what, maybe the bookends of my life aren't my birth and my death. Maybe there's a broader context. And Solomon tells us what that broader context is in the last part of this verse. Ecclesiastes 3, the last part of verse 11. Also he has put eternity into man's heart. This is amazing. Solomon says, regardless of your background, whether you grew up in church or not, whether you consider yourself a religious person or not, there's something in the human heart, there's something in your heart and in my heart that longs for there to be something beyond this life. It's not a religious thing. It's not even a theological thing. It's the way that God wired us. And this is why in every civilization, in every culture, for all of time around the world, the majority of people have always looked beyond life under the sun and wondered and even hoped that there was something else, something better out there. And the interesting thing is nothing can happen to us that will squelch or mute that inner witness to something beyond this life. You can't reason it away. You can't have a bad church experience and have it go away. You can't get ticked off at God and have it go away. You can quit going to church. You can burn your Bible, and it's not going to go away because God put it there. Verse 11, chapter 3. Yet so that he cannot find out, NIV says fathom, so that he cannot fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. That phrase, from the beginning to the end, is that everlasting to everlasting that Moses talked about in Psalm 90. In other words, Psalm is telling us that in spite of the randomness of life under the sun, in spite of all the unfairness and injustice, in the midst of all that, God has a plan. God has a plan. God is doing something. You see, history is linear. Life under the sun is round and round and round we go. Right? And everything's the same. And nothing's new. But out from underneath life under the sun, God is doing something. And we, with our limited temporal perspective, can't fathom what God is doing. But deep inside, deep inside, in our hearts, we're going, I knew it. I knew it. I knew there was something else out there. No one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Verse 14. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. Here's Solomon simply referring to this idea of how, how the, the power and majesty of God are evidenced in his mighty works. He's basically saying that, 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 that God's miracles serve not only to bless us, but also to in, instill this sense of, of fear and reverence and awe of him. Then in the next verse, Solomon addresses the thing that we all want him to address, all the injustice and unfairness in the world. Let's read it, verse 17. I said to myself, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. Literal translation, under the sun, 
there's so much unfairness, injustice, and stuff just doesn't make any sense. But because there is eternity in my heart, and because God is a righteous God, I know, I know there will be a time when all that evil is going to be dealt with, when all the injustice will be addressed. Even though I'll never be able to make sense of it in, in my little box under the sun, I live my life knowing that a righteous God will do the right thing at the right time. And then he concludes the book with, and these are the final two verses of the book, chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment and every secret thing, whether good or evil. Fear God and keep his commandments. But God, I was fearing you and I still lost my job. Fear God and keep his commandments. God, I was fearing you and keeping your commands. But he wasn't fearing you and, and she wasn't fearing you and keeping your commands. And now he's gone or she's gone. And they've moved on and they look happy. And I'm not. But if we'll just remain faithful, if we'll just keep fearing God and keeping his commands, please know that behind the scenes, God is working. God is working. And in his time, I said in his time, he'll make all things good again. Solomon says this is the mystery of life. The randomness shouldn't surprise us living life under the sun, but there's more to life than under the sun. So as we conclude this series, I want to briefly challenge four different groups of people and how you're going to spend the rest of your time, the rest of your numbered days that God has given you on this planet. Start with the younger folks, high school, college, young adults. Listen, every single one of you young people, you need to pray this prayer every day. God, show me your will for my life. Show me your will for my life. See, you all have the benefit of getting this right the first time. I don't. You get to live your life refusing to be confused by all the randomness and unfairness and injustice in the world. You have the opportunity to wake up every day and say, God, I'm tired of chasing the wind. I want to know your will for my life, and I want to do your will. I want to honor you, and I want to keep your commands. I want to keep your commands when it works out for me, but I want to keep your commands when it doesn't work out for me because I'm not going to spend the rest of my life trying to make sense of it all. I want to live my life in such a way that, that honors you. And I'm telling you, young people, students, there are people in this room in their 40s, 50s, and 60s, and maybe even older, who would love, love, love to go back and do it again. I'm just saying. But you have a chance to get it right the first time because you know your greatest opportunity talking to the young people still your greatest opportunity with the time that you have now as a teenager as a young person as a single person is to find something with purpose purpose that goes beyond this life and pour your extra time into it and don't give me that lame excuse about not having enough time to get involved see us married folks we laugh at you single people when you say you don't have enough time you don't have enough time yeah we laugh at that I think back to when we had five kids at home and I'm sitting there thinking, now, you know, I'm thinking, what did I do when I, what did I do with all my time when I was single? I must have slept 17 hours a day. 
one person as a single person. Speaking of singles, let me address the singles real quickly. Look, I know you hate being single. You can't wait to not be single. And that's okay. In fact, the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon addresses some of those very issues. It's a, because it's a good thing to fall in love. It's a good thing to find a great husband or a great wife. But in the meantime, don't devote all of your time trying to find Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright. Finding the person or the thing that will completely fulfill you because they won't. You're chasing the wind. Right? It's not going to happen. It's a vapor. But please know God knows the desire of your heart. So your best bet is to pour your extra time into something that has purpose beyond the bookends of your life. And perhaps while you're pouring your extra time into something that has purpose beyond the bookends of your life, maybe, just maybe, while you're doing that, God will do something beautiful in his time. And one day, you'll look to your left or to your right, and you'll find somebody who's doing the same thing, trying to honor God and keep his commandments. There you go. Married folks, if you're married, Solomon addresses this as well. He says, married people, love and cherish and enjoy your husband and your wife. And if you have children, love and cherish and enjoy the children of, their youth, of your youth. But listen to me, parents. Whatever you do, don't trade the integrity of your relationship with your children for a job that someone else is going to be working one day for a house that someone else is going to live in someday, for a car or pickup that someone else is going to be driving someday. Because you'll get to a stage in life where you'll look back and you'll wish you could go back and trade all of that for an opportunity to invest in something that outlives you and impacts the next generation. It's your one shot, parents. It's your one shot. Don't screw that up chasing the wind. Chasing things that are meaningless. Chasing things that somebody else is going to own somebody else is going to enjoy someday. And Solomon drills down on that in the book of Ecclesiastes. He says, he says, don't miss this opportunity because it comes and it goes quicker than you think. And you empty nesters know that. One day you woke up and it's like, man, what happened? But again, there are people sitting in here this morning listening to this and they would love to go back and would trade all of that stuff and all the experiences for a relationship with a son or daughter that was never invested in when they were younger because they were chasing the wind. Trying to find meaning in life under the sun and then discovered that it can't be done. And Solomon warned us about that 3,000 years ago, parents. Empty nesters. Those of you who are empty nesters, you already knew all this. In fact, you haven't even taken notes, have you? You've been sitting there nodding, check, check, check. Because you know, he's right. Solomon's right. So let me say something to you. Don't run off into some retirement thing. Don't disappear to the lake. Don't disappear to the golf course. Right? Don't move over to John Knox Village and play bridge and dominoes. Watch Bonanza and Andy Griffith reruns. You are the punctuation of this whole thing. You're the living illustration of how quickly life goes, how valuable relationships are, how silly it is to chase things that somebody else is going to own, wear, live in, and drive someday. You're the living example of that, empty nesters. The 
30-year-olds, 40-year-olds, 25-year-olds, they need your input. They need your input. And without it, we more than likely will just chase the wind like all the other generations, and there we go. Life under the sun. So we need the empty nesters as well. We need you because you spent the majority of your life gaining the knowledge and the insight and the wisdom that the younger generation needs. You say, but pastor, man, I've made so many mistakes. That's okay. At least you can be a bad example. Seriously, you can tell people what not to do. Look, don't do this. I'm sort of kidding, but sort of not. And if you're wondering how God could use you as an empty nester, one way would be as marriage mentors. Marriage mentors. Because these young couples in their 20s and 30s, they're just young and in love and they're naive and they don't, they don't see the freight train coming. They don't know any better. All they know is they fell in love and then they thought it would be different. You empty nesters, you sit down with a young couple for 10 minutes, they're going to think you're experts. Just because of the life experiences you have had to do. You fought the wars, you raised the kids, you've been there and done that. If nothing else, let God leverage the time of your life for the sake of a future generation. This may be your best opportunity to do something outside the boundaries of life under the sun. So look, if all there is is life under the sun, go, sure, go play golf, go fishing, go hunting, go to the retirement village. I don't care. If that's all there is is life under the sun, but come on. So as we conclude this series, I want to encourage you again to memorize Psalm 90, verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Live as if your, live as if your days are numbered, but live as if your days are numbered by a heavenly Father who has invited you into a story much grander than your story will ever be without him. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, please. Please help each one of us to quit living our lives under the sun, as it were, and begin living our lives with the understanding that, look, in spite of all the randomness, in spite of all the unfairness, injustice in life, still you're at work, and you've got a plan for us. And even though we read these things that Solomon said and recognize that none of us can argue with him, after all, he's the smartest, wisest man who ever lived, show us what we need to do with these truths. And as we walk out these doors here in a couple of minutes and go right back into our world, which has not changed, it's still going to be life under the sun out there. So show each one of us what we need to do in taking our next step as we begin to live our lives, knowing that in spite of what we see happening around us, still you're large and in charge. And you've got a plan and you're at work. Show us our next step. Help the younger folks recognize that they can spare themselves so much heartache and pain because they have a chance to get it right the first time. Help the single folks recognize that you know the desire of their heart so they don't need to chase the wind by finding Mr. or Mrs. Wright and that they would be much better served by pouring their extra time into something that has purpose beyond the bookends of their lives. Help the married couples keep their marriage and family as their priority above all else, especially their jobs or careers. And remind the empty nesters that their life experience is so, so valuable to share with the younger generation. So don't disappear. Don't disappear to the golf course or to the lake 
or some retirement community. Leverage that experience, good and bad, in a way that will not only benefit the next generation, but also leave a legacy of your marriage. And most of all, help all of us to begin to live our lives, not just as if our days are numbered, but as if, as if our days are numbered with a purpose. With a purpose, because they are. And if you're here this morning, you don't know if you know this Heavenly Father, this God that we've been talking about, the God who created you. You've never made that personal connection with God, or maybe you did at one point, but life under the sun created situations and circumstances that, that brought you to a place where that relationship was fractured, maybe even breached, and now it's not what it used to be and what you want it to be. It would be my honor to, to pray with you so that God would not only heal you, but also draw you back to him. If you'd be willing to just pray the simple prayer with me, say, Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for sending Jesus Christ to die for me and my sins. Forgive me for those things that I've done that have worked against your plan and purpose for my life. I'm tired of living life under the sun. I'm tired of chasing the wind. I want that abundant life that you offer us through Jesus Christ. So come live inside of me, inside of my heart by your Holy Spirit and help me begin to live my life with the understanding that in spite of all that I don't understand about life, I can trust that you're working and you have a plan. In Jesus' name.